0: Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the -the behind-the-scenes story of one of the biggest trades in St. Louis Cardinals history.
1: And When Wainwright said that he felt the team was able to compete for a championship, Mm -hmm. and Adam said, you know, something along the lines of, well, I just feel like we're going to get a lot better soon. Mm -hmm. And then he put that Cheshire cat grin on. Oh, he did. And you knew, oh, they're being told that they're in it on Nolan. Now, not a done deal yet, but it was clear then the Cardinals were going for it, and I think that was, to me, the, the moment that I said, okay, I think this is real.
0: Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sandlots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ben, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark.
1: Thanks, John, for having me. Good to be back with you, man. Uh, it's always fun to catch up, and I'll tell you what, it was great to hear your voice at Roger Dean Stadium this year. Great to see you, albeit behind some distance and masks and all that <laughs> stuff. But i tell you what, it, it hit me when I got down here that, uh, it was good to be back in the ballpark, and you were the first voice I heard over the field. So, considering what what kind of year it's been, I mean, we're right at that year, which is partly the reason we're catching up today. Yeah. It's, uh, it was good to have you welcoming me back in more ways than once.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Thank you for saying that. And and one of the reasons I was so interested in having you on my podcast right now is because of the very thing that you said. It is one year ago. March 12th was the last game that we had uh, for the Cardinals. And uh, I remember very vividly being with you in the press box and standing there before the game and overhearing one of the scouts talking about how the Chicago Cubs had sent their scouts home. And we were all wondering what in the world was going to happen. And it was that very game that ended up being the last game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, wild to think about it and crazy this week to write about it. And ironically that you bring up that moment about the scouts because just the other day in the press box, again, the scouts are sitting behind us, um, and, which is where they hang out before the games begin. And they get an email and go, hey, we're allowed on the backfields again in order to watch some of these players, which if that wasn't a full circle moment, um, what is? I mean, we're slowly starting to move out of it. Um, it's not going to be like a light switch. But we are seeing signs. I mean, people back in the ballpark, um, not as many as, as anybody would hope. But you know, it's going to hopefully those numbers keep going up. Um, some more access, hopefully doing some in person interviews. soon. we're kind of seeing the spring thaw in baseball once again. Is kind of leading the way here. Um, sports watching this, covering this over this past year has been so much like I think our country in dealing with this pandemic. It, there have been mistakes. There have been triumphs. There's been tragedy. There's been a lot of confusion, a lot of trying to figure out the best way to do something that none of us have had to do before. And it's been a mess. And there is a weight to it. I mean, a big one. I mean the Cardinals they lost the scout to complications from COVID. Mm-hmm. That's bigger than any other try, any other, you know, trial they had with the virus. But beyond that, in terms of just the baseball sense, after that year where they left here and we didn't know when we'd see them again, Major League Baseball said, Hey, two weeks delay to the to the opening day. Well, that turned out to be pretty laughable, right? In hindsight, Mm -hmm. we didn't see him for four months. And then they come back, they have a rushed summer camp, and it's supposed to be this 60-game sprint. But they get delayed by this COVID outbreak that became, at the time, one of the biggest in Major League sports. And remember how they were criticized and they were made out to be terrible. You know, How could this happen to them? Well, then it became so popular in every sport. It happened. I mean, you can't have a team together and not encounter this virus. You saw it. We're still seeing it in college basketball conference tournaments. And the idea now that a team is doing something terrible or or not taking things seriously to get shut down, is we completely let that go because it was never true to begin with. So they miss 17 days, they come back, they make this mad dash to the playoffs, and and then they lose. And one of the things that has stood out to me um, in the fallout from all of this is that that team truly is proud of what it accomplished. And it's a very interesting dynamic. Because the fans, you know, Cardinals fans, they want championships. Their team has won 11 of them. They want to get back. It's been too long. This will be a decade if they don't win it this year. That's a long time when you lead the National League in World Series ranks. So the fans aren't wrong. But I think there is a gap between the, the fans and the team and going, I'm not sure anyone who wasn't on that team can really understand what it was like to come back from what they came back from. They had to remake the roster time and time again. They played countless doubleheaders. They didn't know who was going to be available and they showed up every day. They spent, you know, days upon quarantine in the Milwaukee hotel. Guys who were coming back from COVID had all kinds of different symptoms. Some never felt anything. Some were really messed up like Wayne Thomas. Um, It's been really interesting to kind of get a better context of what exactly it was like. And they're proud of what they accomplished. And I don't know that they feel like anybody will ever really understand. And I I kind of agree with them on
0: that. Mm -hmm. So what was like for you? Talking about the team. Now you're covering the team. And I assume that you did not make road trips?
1: I did not. Now, Derek Gould, my colleague at the post Dispatch, he was pretty much with the team home and away all season. Okay. Um, he was in Milwaukee when the team was quarantined. Yeah. Following, you know, from a distance. I was at most of the home games, um, but we didn't see any players face-to-face. Everything, we learned what Zoom was, which... I can't wait until I don't have to use Zoom anymore. Um, I'm happy for all the people who bought stock. I'm happy for all the people who bought stock in it. Um, I wasn't one of them, so yeah. I, I'll be happy if it goes away, right? Sorry to yeah. the folks who have had their retirement accounts with it, but it's just, um, I mean, you and I were talking, setting up this podcast, and we did the typical thing where it was, do we do it in person? Do we do it on, and we said, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it on the phone just to be extra safe, but it's just not the same, right? I mean, you and I are in the communications fields. We are in communications fields because we like people and we like to talk to people and we, and we like to be around people. Well, this has removed that for us and we do the best we can with Zoom and at least we can see people's face and still there are these moments of breakthrough on Zoom where you go, that was almost like a face-to-face conversation, Yeah, but it's not. And, and th- those are the best moments. Too often there's, Someone screeching with feedback or or someone's muted and it's just been a disaster. But, you know, the Cardinals have done a great job of trying to do the best they can. Um, I'm hopeful that there are going to be some changes here coming soon. We're starting to see some things come back, but that's the thing that changed for me. Everything was from a distance. I think um, I dialed up the interest in writing analysis and opinion um, because I, I didn't have access. And then when you do have access for an interview, too often it's everybody's there watching you know, So if you get a great quote or if you get a great insight, you've gotten it for a crowd of 25 to 30 people on a Zoom call as opposed to standing at a guy's locker and, and it's exclusive, right? So I, I think it changed for me the way I had to cover the team and the way I had to write about the Cardinals. And, and we, we did the best we could to make it seem as if we were there. Not making stuff up, but you got as close as you could is what I'm saying. Um, you know, and, and there was a difference between being at the game and watching it on TV the cameras don't capture everything. So you got as close as you could, but it's certainly not the same as being able to talk to guys and getting some of that color and and insight that comes from being much closer to it. And that's the best thing baseball offers is it's an accessible sport for us. Mm -hmm. And we get to tell these stories. And I think baseball has realized hopefully that there's value in that. If the one good thing can come out of this and I'm not, won't make the whole thing good. I mean, we're talking about lives lost and, and countless heartache from this virus, but maybe baseball can say, Hey, the, the access, the coverage, it helps our sport. I hope they see that. And I hope they, they talk about that being something they want to get back and not something they, they want to keep changed in the way that it's changed during the time.
0: Well, it's interesting to look back at 2020 and to, to think about all the nation's been through, all we've been through, all the baseball's been through, all we've been through personally. Now let's move into this year. Let's move into 2021. And before spring training happened, the Cardinals ended up being very active in fact, they may have been the last team to even make a transaction. But the transactions that they made were significant. What was your reaction to, let's take them in order, what was your transaction to, to Wayno and then Yachty?
1: Well, the, those guys were expected for me. Yeah, um, I, I thought there was really no way the Cardinals were going to put themselves in a spot where they were going to enter a season without those guys and with those guys playing in another team's uniform.
0: Even though it went late? You didn't start getting suspicious? Yeah, some, yeah.
1: No, I, in, unless they, the only thing I wondered about was, would it get to a point where Molina was feeling like disrespected? Yep. Because when Yachty feels disrespected, he's got going to, he's going to do something about it. And you know, I could see him maybe showing up in, in New York, but it seemed like the teams that would have been most interested in him found answers pretty quick. And I really just didn't think with what Bill DeWitt has said about those two guys over the years that they were going to let them get away. Um, unless it was something so ridiculous that it made the players you know, look like the ones who were short-sighted instead of the team. Um, I, I just thought that was just going to be a matter of time. So those didn't surprise me. Maybe it took a little longer than they hoped, but I never once thought that there would be a season played with which either Adam or Molina, especially Molina, played and wasn't playing in a, in a Cardinals uniform. Maybe I could have seen it, Wainwright, but Molina, no way. I mean, the Cardinals, you know, they try to keep those guys. The last, of course, everyone can point to Albert, but that was a whole different contract than what these guys were playing for. One-year deal, pretty valuable players still, but then their value on top of that, what they bring, the relationship they have with fans, yep. how they played, how well they played in 2020. I mean, Yadi led the team in hits in the playoffs, and Wainwright was the team's most reliable starter during a chaotic year. So I, I just didn't think it was realistic, and it took them longer than they would have hoped, but that one was predictable to me. Those two.
0: So when Adam Wainwright was doing his press conference to announce that he's got a new deal with the Cardinals, did he look to you like he knew something? He <laughs> yeah. looked to me yeah. like he said there may be more on the way, and I saw that grin. Do you think he knew something was up? That was the exact moment that I went, okay, I'm done pumping the brakes on on the Arenado talk. Really?
1: Yeah, I just knew that Adam knew something. I mean, it was clear to anyone who watched that, and anyone who I don't pretend to know Adam as well as as some others, but anyone who knows Wainwright knew what he was talking about. And then you heard, you know, you just kind of heard some comments. Even Moe was asked about if he wanted to address the Arnado stuff. And he kind of, went, when when Moe wants to shoot something down, he will do it. Yeah. Um, he'll find a way to pour water on it. I mean, he's, I remember him calling, there was a player, and I'm blanking on the name now, a couple of years ago who the Cardinals were linked to. And Moe's response was something along the lines of fake news before fake news became the term that, that it is today, he, he finds a way to shut things down if, there, if there's no substance to them, usually. But he was not shutting this down. And when Wainwright said that he felt the team was able to compete for a championship, and credit to my colleague Benjamin Hoffman at the Post-Dispatch, who immediately said, well, what makes you think that? And Adam said, you know, I, I don't want to butcher the quote because it was really good. Something along the lines of, well, I just feel like we're gonna we're gonna get a lot better soon. Mm-hmm. And then he put that Cheshire Cat grin on. Oh, he did. And and you knew, oh, they're being told that they're in it on on Nolan now. Not a done deal yet, but it was clear then that the Cardinals were the Cardinals were going for it. And I think that was to me the, the moment that I said, okay, I think this is real. And sure enough, they they figured out a way to get it done. Very complicated deal. It would never have happened without the Rockies basically you know, wanting to, I guess, you know, create enough money in the future where they can justify letting a a true great player go. But no one, no one is, has liked the Cardinals for a long time. It's been a mutual interest. I I always thought it could work, but I, I'll be honest John, I I never thought it would happen this off season because the Cardinals were more or less crying broke and they did end up taking on a massive payroll spike in this deal, which is kind of crazy when you think about the caliber of player he is, but, I just—they were not sounding like a team that was going to make that kind of splash this off season. They did a great job of kind of hiding their cards.
0: Well, the trade for Nolan Arenado has got to be one of the top trades in Cardinal history, don't you think? Maybe, maybe one of the top four.
1: I think it has a chance to be. We better wait and see. I mean, they made some good ones, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, Lou Brock, uh, obviously, yeah. that's at the top of any list, sure. You know, they, but they made some really good ones. Mark McGuire, Jim Edmonds. You have uh, that holiday. Um, You know, there are, there are, there's some compelling names there, but I think if Nolan stays, and I think he will, um, he has those two opt-outs. So you have to see how long he's around, but I I imagine today it will be for the long haul, but you don't know that for sure. So we got to wait on that. Also too, the thing that no one's talking about, and I I don't want to sound like a pessimist at all. We got to see how he's hit. His shoulder was banged up last year and his power was down. That's I'm, I'm more concerned about that. Than I am anything with this course field hangover stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of that bogus. He's going to hit. He's not going to hit what he did at Coors at Bush. No one should expect that. But what he's going to do is hit better on the road, everywhere, because there won't be such a massive change anymore from his home ballpark to the visiting one. You know, his road numbers are going to improve a lot, and I think overall the effect will be close to, to the same. He might actually statistically be a, a more effective hitter now that he doesn't have that drastic home road difference. If you look at you know ballpark adjusted figures, which a lot of people ignore, but I think it tells a truer story. To me, the the question will be: Is his power there, and does he stick around? And if those two things are true, then, then I think it's a very good chance that yeah, it goes down as one of the best deals that the Cardinals have pulled off, and one of the best deals Mo has pulled off. There really isn't anything that could happen in Colorado that would make you feel differently about that. I think Austin Gomber is going to be pretty good. Uh, I think he he already had a really good spring for the mm-hmm. Rockies. I bet mm-hmm. he starts in the rotation this year. But the Cardinals had pitching falling out of trees and down here in Jupiter. You know, we you walk down a sidewalk and you see those little lizards that scurry everywhere, mm-hmm. that's like the Cardinals and pitching. They <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere. So if you can use that to build a package to get a guy you did not have, then even if the guy goes out to win a Cy Young award, then still you you got something you needed.
0: Well, I also think the Nolan Arenado, you, and you know the sport far better than I do, but I also think the Nolan Arenado deal totally changes the context of evaluating the Cardinals' outfield. Because last year, you're looking at the seven, eight, and nine hitters for the Cardinal outfield. But you put Arenado in that lineup, and you, you're looking at Dylan Carlson and, and Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. I think you're looking at them totally differently.
1: Well, yeah, you're not, and you're not asking Paul DeYoung to to hit cleanup, yeah, or Dylan Carlson to hit cleanup in the playoffs, right? It makes the lineup better, it lengthens it out, and it takes some pressure off those younger guys. It provides protection for Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt had an incredible year last year. He had, you know, people don't talk about this. He led the National League Central in OPS mm. for a guy who was the main attraction in the lineup, and he was getting pitched around a lot. They weren't giving him pitches to hit because they were going to make somebody else in the lineup beat them. Well, now Mike Schultz is going to move these guys around. Well, We're seeing him do it this spring. I think the two have played in six great group league games together so far, and he's had three different books to where they are in the lineup. But one thing he's keeping certain is they're going to hit back-to-back. It might be Goldschmidt in front of Arenado or vice versa. It could be 2-3 three, or 3-4, three, but they're going to be together, and they're going to make a pitcher think twice. About you know, simply ignoring one to get to the other, because then whatever damage the other does will will be twice as bad. So I think that automatically changes the lineup, and I think it gives everybody a little bit more room to breathe. That said, the cardinals can't expect their infield to completely carry the offense. yeah. I mean, corner outfield positions are supposed to provide damage, supposed to provide crooked numbers. You know, hitting your outfielders seven, eight and nine. The Cardinals are the only team in baseball to start opening day like that last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll start that way this season, but they don't have proven hitters there. They need they need something. They need Carlson to you know be a rookie of the year type candidate. They need something to to happen in, in the center and left field spot. Harrison Bader, does he lock it down or does he become more a platoon type guy? Tyler O'Neill has had a very impressive spring. I'm not completely sold on Tyler, but um, he has looked good here lately. It seems to me like he's just being a a more complete hitter. He's got such an electric power. He doesn't have to try to hit home runs. He just needs to literally put the ball on the bat, and it might go 400 feet. and that's the kind of hitter he is. So if they can get a pleasant surprise or two in the outfield, then I think they're a pretty pretty dynamic lineup. But it's asking a lot for the addition of Nolan to be the one thing that transforms this lineup from the past two seasons now, entering the postseason with the worst – bugging percentage of any team in the playoffs. They've they've got to have more than know what happened for that to to change.
0: Who has caught your eye? We're early in spring training, but in watching the game so far, any player in particular has caught your eye? That's a good
1: question. Um, I I think people are probably not talking enough about Johan Oviedo. Mm. I thought he was pretty impressive last year considering the circumstances. I think the Cardinals are are trying to hide him a little bit, Um, and I think he's a legitimate contender for this, rotation with the turbulence that has happened now with the miles michaels injury. Yeah. We don't quite know what this is going to look like. I think they will name five starters, and maybe they give John Gantt a chance to crack the rotation starting the season, but I like John Gantt a lot more as a reliever. He struggles with the third time through the lineup. He's been so effective as a reliever. He's so reliable You think when you can use him every day, and then I wonder if maybe they go more elite bullpen, which we've already seen them do with Alex Reyes, who is a guy who's also caught my eye. He's been absolutely electric, but they're worried about, you know, his innings. So they, they move into the bullpen. I am almost the mindset of move Gant there too and go have one of the best bullpens in baseball and then kind of let your young guys under careful eye kind of trade around that those starts for the fifth spot. And then you have, you know, you have the chance to maybe skip a start here and there or throw in the sixth starter. I think you're going to see a lot of different guys on this team make starts, especially if Michaelis is out Longer than the Cardinals initially hoped. there. We'll, we'll get more information on that about his shoulder, hopefully in the coming days. But Oviedo is a guy who's impressive. Reyes, as I said, has been, has been just outstanding. It's not a new name, but uh, one we should we should mention. Yadier Molina looks like he's turned back time. He's more. He's full of bounce and energy. He's throwing harder than he has in years past. He's hitting the ball with an exit velocity that we haven't seen since his career best offensive seasons. He's you know in shape from playing in the Caribbean Series. He's ready to roll, and I think he's fired up about this team. And then the other guy, it's kind of a two-edged sword here. You said who's caught my eye. Matt Carpenter, I didn't think he could play second base this well. Mm -hmm. However, John, he's not hitting. At the time we're recording this, he's 0 for 15 now, Uh and playing second base for him isn't going to be enough to get him in the lineup regularly. He's got about, what, two weeks to change the tune of this spring, or he's going to be stuck on the bench without much time.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, Alex Reyes comes up every time we talk. the the curiosity (laughs) he's he's got such potential he's such a great looking young pitcher but they've already announced haven't they that he's not going to be a starter
1: yeah and i understand it to a degree but here's my fear the guy's 26 now at some point he either is or he isn't you have to let him go eventually but what they decided and and maddox explained this this week they feel like guys aren't really right until about two years after their tommy john Mm -hmm. and with with the lack of innings reyes pitched last year and the injuries that he's had before, he really he has no baseline. So they, they feel like he'd be more effective, and it would be safer to use him out of the bullpen. And they, and they have an innings target of, depending on who you ask, around eighty to one hundred innings. Mm-hmm. But the risk there is: how do you find those innings in high leverage, valuable relief innings for Reyes? Because what you can't have happen with Alex Reyes—he's too good—is to be the guy. He can't be the guy who comes in when the Cardinals are down five to zero and picks up three innings. Yeah. That is a waste of his talent. It has been, you know, you got to go back since 1999. It was Manny Ibar who had 90-plus innings as a Cardinals reliever. Um, you got to go back further than that. It was Todd Borrell who had 100-plus innings as a Cardinals reliever. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that. So how do you maximize, how do you get him to the innings level where you think he can start in 2022 while still getting the most out of his arm? I would much rather have Reyes pitching in a game that's 0-0 at, at first pitch than I would having him pitch in the game. The Cardinals are trailing by four in the seventh and he's mopping up. He's not a mop up guy. And everyone says, yes, of course he isn't. Why would you even bring that up? Well, if you want to get him to 80 or 100 innings, where are the innings going to come from? Are there going to be 100 high leverage innings that, that he can pitch in? I don't know. I mean, one way to do this would be to start him and again, plan out his innings and it starts accordingly. And then you'd be sure you hit the inning and you would be sure that you got the most out of his arm. Um, or at least a lot out of his arm, potentially more than you had if he, he ends up pitching in lousy relief innings. They say they can create a role that values his arm and gets him those high leverage, but also puts him on track to be a starter. I think it's going to be very hard. I think if I had to get today, then we'll probably talk about Alex Reyes winding up and comes kind of just up setup-type role this year where he's the eighth-inning guy, which could be certainly very valuable. But here's the thing. If they if they get him 60 innings or 55 then are they coming into spring next year talking about how he doesn't have enough innings built up to be a starter? Are we just going to keep doing this over and over again? I mean, there was a time when Trevor Rosenthal became the closer and every spring he talked about how he wanted to start. And the old story was, A, he was too effective as a reliever and B, he was never built up enough. And it kind of just seems like Alex Reyes might be heading down that road. John.
0: One last question. What questions do you think are still need to be answered for the Cardinals to be the favorite in the National Lake Central coming out of spring training?
1: I think Schultz's gotta figure out the cornerstone of his lineup. I mean you don't wanna you don't have to hit the guys in the same place every time, but I think he wants to have a good feel as to where he likes his chances of getting the most out of Nolan and, and Paul Goldschmidt. That's big. I think they gotta figure out who exactly is their their opening day outfield. Now that can change depending on matchups, but they it does seem like Tyler O'Neill has put himself in the driver's seat ahead of Lane Thomas, although there's still some games to go. That's in the air still. They've got a smaller discussion going on at kind of backup infielder. Edmundo um, Sosa seems to be leading that discussion. And then the biggest thing I think will be Miles, his arm, his shoulder, and what the fallout is from that. They've got to kind of figure out their their rotation. Is it going to be Gant? And are they willing to lose him as a reliever as opposed to maybe going with a Jake Woodford or, or as you said, Johan Oviedo? Can Oviedo or Woodford jump ahead of Daniel Ponce de Leon? Um, it sure seems like he's kind of fading from this uh, discussion a little bit. So those are the biggest things that I think right now. And then the the one that everybody will spend the most time talking about, of course, is Carpenter. (laughs) You know, what's his role to to me, it's not that complicated. If he doesn't hit, he sits on the bench. Now, there's another question there. If he hits so poorly that the Cardinals feel like they, they don't have a left-handed bat, then you start going down the road of what, Do they actually pay this guy to go away Mm -hmm. so they can put another player there in his place? I have a hard time seeing the Cardinals doing that just based off of how they feel about Matt and their belief in him. But if he can't hit, then that might be the unfortunate discussion they have to have.
0: Well, here's hoping that uh, 2021 is better than 2020 and we're going to play baseball and we're going to have fans in the stands and we're going to get to enjoy St. Louis Cardinals baseball again. Ben Fredrickson, thank you so much for your time. You bet,
1: John. Thanks for having me. And again, I, I truly mean this. Thank you for doing what you do. And it, it's always, uh, it's spring training until you you provide the soundtrack when I get down here. So thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale project manager is Andrew Miller. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark.